podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? Thrilled after another solid 5-2 defeat. Hopefully same again at the weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's the hope. So, Carl, there's been allegations that last night's post-match Raw was overseen by the group who will lead our Europa League coverage next <laughs> season. I'd like your thoughts on this. Um, look, all I can say is when when Raw has as many rotations as the Reds, we know something's not quite uh, right with the calendar, whether that's <laughs> something to do with the World Cup or something to do with you lot thinking that we're going to lose games and, and purposely putting yourself out of action. I wouldn't <laughs> know. But here we are. Listen, I'd have happily done Raw rather than fucking walking around Dublin in the pissings of rain with my walking stick hobbling around like a fool. Um... Yeah, so Trev had to drop out because of his back. I had to drop out because I was getting physio on my knee. And then Harry had to drop out. So instead of Trev, myself and Harry, it ended up being Guy, Carl and Jim Boardman. But from what I hear, from what I hear, a solid performance. A little bit unlike Liverpool in the last 30 minutes yesterday. Carl, why can't this team play without Thiago on the pitch? That is the question I ask you. <laughs> um, I, I would love to, to at this point say, well, you know, it's it's all about you know, the, the fitness and the rhythm and the, and everything. But no, it's not, is it? Uh, from from the first game of the season, it wasn't the fitness, and from the fifth game of the season, it couldn't be the rhythm. I think it just literally is that he seems to be the one that is keeping positions where he needs to be at the minute and pulling people together. I think there were a few pretty good first half performers yesterday, and I think there were quite a lot of pretty poor second half performers so we're going to try and put that together for a whole game at once at some point this term I'm hopeful Uh, I think this weekend is a decent opportunity to try and do that yeah I do agree Uh, we should address one or two performances from last night uh, the most startlingly bad of which was Fabinho who came off the bench and looked like someone had replaced his boots with wellies, he just looks so slow. Now, he has a habit of when he comes on in games, unless it's at half time, he just doesn't catch up to the pace of the game. Is it simply that last night, or do you think there's more, more to talk about on him? Well, I mean, I mentioned, I can't remember now if it was before the Man City game that we've seen Fabinho this year, and he just looks like he's a bit hampered to me, whether that's he's lost a bit of pace over the summer somehow, or whether he's been carrying a bit of a knock or a strain, or he's just not moving freely at the moment. Uh, obviously, there was a big improvement against Man City in terms of his uh, defensive work and, and how involved he was in breaking up play, but then is that, again, a bit of a knock-on effect on, on his body in some way, and it's the fatigue and the recovery and everything? He's, he's obviously not had regular game time as much as he would normally do this season so maybe mm. again it is a little bit of that he was still in recovery mode to an extent and when he came on it was it was mechanical I think is the word I'll use to describe his movements it was not um, not very fluid at all he, he, I mean he looks like he's really struggling to turn around at the minute Any any time mm. anybody sort of takes a step past him normally you would see him take two quick sprint steps and then a big hooked leg around and he's He's turning like an oil tanker at the minute. It's a, it's a bit of a concern. But at the minute, we're, as I mentioned on Raw last night, kind of three players for two positions in a lot of different areas. Um, at, at centre forward, obviously, we've got the three and they're rotating. And sometimes Mo will have to push out wide in centre midfield. We've basically got three at the minute and we're rotating between two of them. So I think substitution times and 
uh, who starts and who comes off first is a bit of a clue, basically, as to which pairing is going to start the next game, I think. So assuming that there are no injuries picked up in training between each match, of course, I think it's um, probably a game that we're now expecting Fabinho to start at the weekend. At some point, I think he's going to have to start two in a row, though, and then we are going to see if it really is a a struggle for him to recover physically uh, on, on that sort of short turnaround at the moment, or what? Because I have to be perfectly honest, at this moment in time, I wouldn't be taking him in Brazil's World Cup squad if this is what he's producing mm. you know, one, one game after the next. Brazil got enough central and holding central players that they don't need to carry someone who is in terrible form. And he cannot afford to keep putting in performances like that if he wants to go. And the thing is, him not going to the World Cup is probably what he needs. Like, he could probably do with that time to just let his body recover and rest, get that lovely rest in. Um, you know, he, him, Mo, a couple of others just, you know, sitting around a pool, relaxing, not having to do ridiculous things in ridiculous heat in Qatar. But, yeah, his performance last night was poor, as was the defensive performance of Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, he got, let's be clear, far less protection in that game than James Milner got at the weekend because Mo wasn't working back the way Harvey was working back. Joe Gomez didn't have the opportunities to cover across quite as much because there was less protection from the central midfield area than there was against City. But Trent just... There's just something not right, Carl. His, I, I'm not going to say he's not trying... But he also looks like he's just not fully with it. Like he looks like either he's not focused or his body's not letting him do certain things. But you see him come across to defend 1v1 and get into his defensive stance. And he's not moving his feet. He's on his heels. He's slouched over. And you're just wondering, like, everything about this is fundamentally wrong. But we know this is not Trent, the defender, because we saw him last season be very good defensively for long stretches. And I saw Gomez getting quite a bit of criticism after the game. But, I mean, other than the penalty, I thought Gomez actually had quite a good game. Whereas I thought defensively Trent was really poor. Now, some of his passing was outstanding. But defensively, he he worried me again. So uh, I, I found Trent um, different in the first half to the second half defensively. I thought first half in the in the few one on ones and the counters that they had, he was okay. Um, but the second half, he did lose out the one on ones again. Something we mentioned last night on Raw, especially right near the end of the game there, when I think it was him, Henderson, and Gomez all missed that sort of one on one challenge where they nearly scored from. Um, so again, I don't know whether this is like a fatigue thing, if it's a concentration issue if it's I'm not really sure what it is because there's there's quite a few players in this team who normally you would look at as just being part of that really relentless group that we had and they're not doing that at the moment now obviously after a bad start to the season it's going to take you know a few games for that to come back completely and you can only do it one game at a time and improve bit by bit and all the rest of it but like you say some of the time the it's not attitude quite but it is like almost preparedness if you like that that side of attitude it's like the concentration sometimes drifts or it's not quite as absolutely diligent as you have to be every single second of every single game not just against man city um i mean gomez we we actually went in a bit of depth on gomez last night and i sort of said i don't really have any concerns about him but i also expect that there are going to be a couple of moments from him because he hasn't had that consistency of game time and it's compared it to you know a centre forward who has been in and out of the team coming in and a chance falls his way and he maybe shoots when he should pass and then the next time he hesitates and tries to pass when he should shoot and all that sort of thing so you're going to get the defensive equivalent of that for someone who's been out of the team and comes back in so he might make a bit of a, a mad decision and it appears worse because he's a centre back and it costs a penalty or it costs a goal or a chance or anything like that but you are until he plays maybe a month, two months in a row, going to get that kind of thing from time to mm. time. I don't really have too many concerns over Gomez at all. No, neither he, do I. He has, he has a solid place in the squad and he can be a solid piece of the team as well, but it's down to fitness and form and if he keeps getting the opportunities once other people come back. So there's not really anything to worry about there from, from that perspective. Um, 
I think overall it still is a team issue to be honest just what I said I think you know against the Man City game it was such a one-off it was an event it was a a real test and everybody passed but we have to remember that we did that for like two years every single game whether we were playing Man City or whether we were playing Nottingham Forest or the equivalent thereof in in those seasons we were so on it we were so diligent and deliberate about our positional work and really really aggressive in all areas of the pitch when we went in for one-on-one challenges and there are too many people who are not that at the moment yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, we did win the game, so I want to end the West Ham chat on a couple of positives. Curtis Jones getting his first minutes of the season. That's a positive. Looked a little bit rusty at times, completely understandable, but his touch looked good, and he looked like he knew what he was meant to be doing, so that's a positive. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain back on the bench for the first time this season. Again, I think that's a positive sign, because I think he can fit really well into this four-four-two. I think it's much more fitting of his skill set. It'll take a bit of time before he's ready to start a game. But I certainly think he can play a role between now and the World Cup break, especially with Jota and Diaz out. I think he's going to be the best option down the left, purely from a pace point of view. And I thought Darwin Nunes caused them absolute nightmares last night. I thought he ran them ragged. He was very unfortunate not to score with that brilliant left-footed shot that hit the post. Uh, Probably could have done better with the rebound, but I think it was a more difficult shot than people realised because it was spinning weirdly coming off the post. He had that other left-footed shot that had absolute venom in it that Fabianski tipped over the bar. And he obviously scored an excellent goal. Great cross from Costas, it must, must be said. But to see Darwin break into the box at that speed and jump and kind of just hang in the air, I, I thought it was a great goal. What do you mean? Andy Carroll? No. <laughs> Absolutely no. not. No, no, no. no um, uh, look, we had a good laugh about Darwin last night. I think everybody enjoyed his first half performance, apart from Ben Johnson, probably. Uh, he was exceptional. Really, really endeared himself to, to the home support, obviously. Got a lot of appreciation from the cop. Um, I think that kind of thing is hopefully with a new player anyway and a reasonably young player, something that spurs them on to do the exact same thing every time that they're on the pitch or, you know, makes them remember at least when they're they're at home, this is what they want to see, this is what they expect to see from me now. Uh, Another day, he probably gets a hat-trick. I think we all all mentioned last night, if he starts finishing with his right foot like he does with his left foot, he's going to get about 100 goals a season. Um, It's not not quite working out that way at the minute, but there's not that much in it. You know, he he scored four in one of the friendlies, was it? And to be honest, they were happens. None of them were proper goals that he did too much for, other than obviously being that sort of six-yard box area. He could have had four last night, all of them of his own making. And he is a player who is obviously becoming more impactful now. I think, again, we've we've mentioned several times already that the two forwards really, really suits him. And Mm. his off-the-ball work last night was something that we really, really are going to need from the front two because it's very, very different trying to set up to, to press and stop people playing out when you've got two in attack instead of three and then just two in each area or channel of the midfield rather than again a fullback so high up and a number eight so high up and the number six able to go across it's it's really really different setup at the minute so what he did off the ball with stopping them getting down the flank with stopping them easily playing out and everything else was was something we're going to need game after game after game and Dell has just mentioned in the chat the uh Premier League speed uh, record for the season obviously which he was clocked at just over 38 kilometers an hour again we did mention that on Raw last night but it's for a fella his size that's like yeah. scary yeah that I mean, you, scary. you don't want him to run into you at that pace let's put it that way no no definitely not um last thing on, on the game after the game i went because i didn't have to do uh, raw i spent my time perusing social media and i saw an awful lot of fawning over declan rice uh liverpool fans saying rice is the one we should sign Rice, pay the money, yada, yada, yada. I thought he was completely anonymous until Thiago went off. A complete non-factor in the game. Now, he did play well when Thiago was gone off the pitch and he ran by Fabinho a couple of times. But for 60 minutes, Carl, I don't remember seeing him do anything positive. 
Yeah, um, I think, again, last night we, we sort of spoke and said first half, especially R2 dominated the centre of the park and they didn't get a touch on us until 40 minutes. And you know, nobody got near Thiago. I think Henderson on the ball was really good first half as well. Uh, again, obviously, probably down to a bit better positional work from um, our players on the ball and going forwards. I think Thiago was making an awful lot of space happen for him, dragging two people towards him at times and letting Henderson sit a bit deeper. And I think between them, they, they did very, very well for that period. But I think the subs in general upset a lot of our balance. They took off our two best players for starters and Caravaglio was a bit of a you know, decent ball carrier and line breaker for us as well. So Rice and Suchek less. I mean, Suchek was more involved in, I suppose, getting into the final third and trying to support. But from build-up play, I think um, Ben Rama was pretty good at carrying for them. And Declan Rice obviously then passed them from deep and a couple of searches forward as well. Again, he was someone we went over last night, so I'm not going to repeat it in case everybody did listen to it. But we cut a very long-winded discussion last night short for today. Yeah, he played all right, and yes, he had an impact in the game, but ultimately he didn't have enough of an impact, did he? He, you know, he didn't no. actually stop his team losing or help his team get a result. So yeah, I think the recency bias of the second half probably clouded a few discussions post-match. Yeah, 100%. And um, that is just the, the kind of the mindset of social media. It's It's the last thing we've seen not the overall game. It's the same thing we see with a lot of player ratings where you'll see someone stink the place up and throw in a 4 out of 10 first half and then they'll have a good second half, say an 8 out of 10. So they'll get a 7 or 8 out of 10 when over the 90 minutes there were maybe a, a 5 or a 6. Um, but, you know, that's just the way it is. This weekend, Carl, on Saturday, in the early kickoff, I believe, Liverpool versus Nottingham Forest at the city ground. Now, we went there last year in the FA Cup and escaped with a 1-0 win. Uh, Diogo Jota goal back when Diogo had a calf muscle and scored goals, sending us through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup, part of our run to the domestic cup double. This season... Nottingham Forest team is unrecognisable from the team that we played last year, given they bought 63 million players during the summer. Um, They are currently 19th in the table. They have not had a good season. I think that's uh, very fair to say. They have drawn two of their last three games after a run of five straight defeats. But they haven't won since the second game of the season when they beat West Ham 1-0. I did think that point against Brighton was impressive in that they got a point away to a good team. But they were completely dominated for the 90 minutes. Um, What have you made of them so far? And Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well... Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. What do you what do you project for them over the rest of the season? Because I still think now this might be too much faith in Steve Cook or Steve Co- Steve Cooper rather. I still think they'll be okay. Because I think there's a lot of talent in the squad. I think he's a really good manager. I think he's still just trying to piece together his best 11. And once he does, I can see them starting to pick up results and climb their way up the table. Because as we've seen in recent weeks, one or two wins can lift you four or five positions up the table. Like, look at ourselves. We currently sit seventh. 
we were 12th before the City game. One more win um, and we can be a point off the top four. And Chelsea have a difficult game this weekend. And remember, we have to play them in that game in hand that we have. So, you know, a little run of results can really make a huge difference. We've seen it for Bournemouth this season. We've seen it for Southampton. The last two games, they got four points and took themselves from the relegation zone all the way up into 14th level on points at West Ham. So I still think Forrest can be okay. But what do you think of them? Um, what have you made of their season so far? I'm a little bit surprised that they came away from you know the system that they planned for so quickly. I presume a lot of the um, summer dealings were the signings were made with that sort of three five two system in mind three four three three five two. So I was a bit surprised that they came away from it that quickly, to be honest. But they seem to have been a little bit better since they went to a three man midfield and a back four. So they've they've sort of gone through the three four three into a 4-2-3-1 and then now have sort of tried to settle into not playing with the number 10 as much, um, which is definitely a departure in terms of build-up play and definitely something that is a question mark, I think, over one or two of the the additions that they made. People like Lingard and Gibbs-White, I know they can play in other areas and they can play a little bit narrow from the sides and the rest of it, but they're not wide players, they're not wide forwards. So it, it is a little bit surprising to me that they went away from that quite so quickly. But at the same time, obviously, you've got to get the results. And if it's not working initially, then it's not as much of a surprise that they've gone away from it. Goal scoring is a real issue for them. Um, I, yeah. Um, most teams who get promoted do struggle to, to one extent or another. But I think given the amount of new faces implementing a way of playing and their patterns of attacking and everything, that is that was always going to be much more difficult um, I would say the one thing I'm more surprised at is that they've persisted quite a lot with Brennan Johnson through the middle. I think Brennan Johnson's a really, really good player, but I also Point think player. that he's the type... Yeah, he's, one, I think he's probably a bit better at the minute wide. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up centrally later, but at the minute, he, to me, is a, a second forward more than anything. And I think that he's someone who would benefit from either they play two up top or play him from the side of someone else, someone like Tyler Wawani, who's been in and out of the side. So I would like to see a little bit more consistency in the team selection from them. Uh, maybe they have to identify a run of games where they think that they can get some really good points in a row from, uh, which, to be fair, isn't right at this minute because they uh, play ourselves, obviously, then they play Arsenal. But after that and before the World Cup, Brentford, Tottenham and Crystal Palace all at home in a row I think they have to target at least four points from that run of games. Uh, And then, obviously, Man United and Chelsea to come back uh, after the World Cup is a a really difficult return. But if they've got themselves at least in a position where they're still within sight of safety, then I don't think there's too much reason to be down about everything. Um, it's, It's very, very important that they don't obviously go on a run of losing like let's say 11 out of 12 games or something like that, because at the end of that point, you probably are starting to get too far away from it, even though the league tends to concertina, because it's not so much that the, the fact that you're still three wins away from the next team, but at that point it becomes three wins away from the next team while they don't get any more points, and then you have to still get more points while they don't get more points. So yeah. that becomes a really, really difficult thing to do, even though the gap doesn't look that big. There's not enough games to do it, basically. So... I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm writing them off completely because they've bought in enough players who are good enough to stay up. But as I said and wrote at the beginning of the season, the biggest job that he, Steve Cooper, has got on this season is not so much winning games as finding a team. Because, you know, imagine you, you went to the World Cup, for example, and got given the mandate of get out of the group stage. You're the new manager here and you have to put together an entirely new nation of, of players. How are you going to do that in, in such a short space of time? It's effectively the job that he's got here. And it could be very, very difficult to, to forge a team identity in the way that they did and got up from the championship last season because they've got people coming on you know, very different wage levels now and very different expectations of playing and different careers that they've had so far. It's It's not that easy to do, to be fair. So... Some players, I think, have really improved their stock. Uh, I would point to people like Ryan Yates for that, for example, since he came back from injury and came into the team. He's obviously not one of their best players from a technical level, but he's that type who has put in the work rate and the 
tactical diligence that they're going to need and providing a little bit of stability probably and really, really fierce competitiveness, which is basically minimum, isn't it, at the at the end of the table that they're at now. So you look at the games where they have more or less matched teams, performance level and energy level and all the rest of it. I'd say the Aston Villa match, Wolves probably to an extent. I mean, they, they were, I think not the better team against Wolves, but they were within touching distance of them. And Brighton, like you said, they kept them out. If you, if you can't match a team in terms of creating chances and having the ball and all the rest of it, you've got to work hard enough and keep your shape well enough to keep them out. And they got a little bit lucky against Brighton because, you know, Brighton missed 16 chances a game unless they're playing at Anfield. And I think Henderson made like two or three pretty good saves as well. But I think they were, you know, in the same way that Liverpool did enough to beat West, uh, to beat West Ham even though it wasn't our best defensive play ever. Again, Forrest have done enough to get the result against Brighton, even though they could have been a bit better on the ball and everything. So not not the end of the world. A couple of decent results uh, in terms of taking a point just to keep within touching distance and indeed to keep themselves off the bottom, because they're not. Uh, that's Leicester still. But it is still going to be a very difficult thing for them. It is. I mean... If you look at them game by game this season, they lost away to Newcastle. That's not a bad result because Newcastle, as they've shown, are a good team. Um, by the way, shout out to Philippe Auclair for his comments on Eddie Howe and his hip- his uh, hypocrisy and also for basically calling Eddie Howe a midget compared to Jurgen Klopp, which was wonderful. Um They beat West Ham at home, which was a really good result. They got a draw away to Everton. Now, Everton are garbage, but it's still a good draw away from home. Losing at home to Spurs and away to City aren't bad results at all. Losing 6-0 to City is disappointing, obviously, but not necessarily surprising. The two really bad results they've had were the 3-2 defeats to Bournemouth and then Fulham. Both of them at home. The Bournemouth one in particular, because they were 2-0 up at half-time and threw it away. In the Forest game, they were one up, conceded three goals in six minutes and threw it away. They got walloped away to Leicester, which the table shows is a bad result. But like, I don't think anyone genuinely believes Leicester are the worst team in the country, or in the league rather, um, despite being bottom. I don't think anyone actually had predicted Leicester to be in this sort of mess pre-season they got a, a draw at home to Villa they got they were like you said kind of a little bit unfortunate not to get a draw away to Wolves who again are better than their league position suggests and then they get the draw with Forest. they haven't been maybe as bad but they've had two really disappointing results and then getting walloped by Forrest was just a bad performance they, they have shown they can hold their own in a number of games they just need to do that more often. Now, I, I have a theory, Carl, that managers self-sabotage themselves in the Premier League with newly promoted teams by continuing to play championship-level central defenders who aren't good enough for the Premier League because they're of the belief that these players bring organisation and leadership. We've seen it with Leeds and Liam Cooper. We've seen it with Norwich and Grant Hanley. And we're seeing it at Forest with Steve Cook, who wasn't a good enough defender to play in the Premier League when he was at Bournemouth three years ago. I don't understand why he continues to play him. When Nia Cathy got hurt, he could have played Joe Worrell in the middle of the back three. Joe Worrell is significantly better than Steve Cook. In a back four, it's not even comparable. Joe Worrell should be playing over Steve Cook. But you've also got things like Mangala got injured and missed five games. He made two starts so far. Niakata got hurt having started the season looking really good. Um, Those two in particular, I think, have been an issue. I don't think he's given Emmanuel Dennis enough opportunities so far. Only two starts. And they've had a bit of a revolving door at left-back. Obviously, they brought in three left-backs in the summer. Omar Richards, 
Then they discovered after he'd had a medical and they'd signed him that he had a stress fracture in his shin. So they signed Harry Tofolo, who's a solid backup left back, but not someone you want starting in the Premier League. And when they realised he wasn't quite ready to start in the Premier League, making the step up from the Championship, they went and they got uh, Renan Lodi in from Atletico Madrid. Now, Lodi is more suited to being a wing-back than a full-back, as is Nico Williams, as are most of the attackers would be more suited to playing in a front three than a front two, or as a lone striker with wingers. It's just been a little bit messy in terms of who's been available and who he's used. I mean, I'm sorry, Steve Cook should not be playing in the Premier League. He just shouldn't. He's not good enough. He's never been good enough. I like Ryan Yates, and I think he's added something to that midfield. But he needs to be playing with Freuler and Mangala. And you've got to make that midfield as combative as possible and not be playing Czech Koyate, whose legs were gone two years ago to the point that Palace moved him to centre-back. Yeah, and again, I think that that goes back to what I was saying before, that a lot of these players have been signed for roles that actually aren't there anymore. Koyate, as a third centre-back, or the middle centre-back in a three, for example, where they don't have it anymore, uh, to follow you mentioned, and Aurier and all the rest of them, who are obviously wing-backs rather than actual full-backs who need to be defensively disciplined and really, really consistent in a back line because you're going to come under pressure... it just doesn't make as much sense, unfortunately. Um, Nico Williams is another good example. So it is um, going to be a bit difficult for them to make themselves as defensively reliable as they need to be when they are slightly tweaking the positions of at least a few of them or the roles of at least a few of them and unable to properly use some of the other ones as well. Um, I agree on Dennis, actually. I'm not sure why he's been in and out. He's already shown that he can play consistently and play consistently well in the top flight. He's yeah. not had too much of a run at the minute. And I mean, like Lingard And I think keep, his, his management of Awani has been odd though as well, because he puts him in the team, he gets a goal and then he's out of the team. Yeah. I'm not sure what the story is with Awani. Like he started the season in the team, obviously, but came up quite quickly. And then I'm not sure if he just doesn't, he only wants to use him for certain matches or certain situations in matches that's fine if so but it's a lot of money to pay for you know what was a club record sign at the time for Mm. uh, a goal scorer who did really really well again in a front two last season most of the time and now they're not really playing either the system or in a way which really makes the most of his assets to be honest so still a bit of a mix still a real muddle I think uh, in the final third uh, for their build up play and how they get the best uh, out of the the talents that they do have I mean like Lingard at the minute keeps starting and I think he's been very very poor for them since the second game of the season Gibbs White like I said I I don't think is quite making the best use of him but him and Johnson seem pretty much definites to play most of the time Obviously, given short turnaround this week, maybe there will be a few more alterations. But basically, when they're playing once a week, those two do seem to be in the team all the time. But the roles, again, do seem to be changing. In the 4-2-3-1, Brennan Johnson played out on the right-hand side. Uh, the first time they played the 4-3-3, he played left side of the front line. Most recently, he played through the middle. So there is obviously still discussions among the coach and staff as to which partnerships are going to work best, which build-up. Um, and protection is best for in terms of the fullback and the wide forward because they've got to get at least one side of those nailed down so that they can play it regularly. I'm sure you would rather play, for example, uh, let's say Nico Williams behind Yates uh, on the right side of midfield and then maybe let Gibbs White be a bit more creative and a bit more central because Nico will obviously overlap. Yates will be a bit more inclined to, to fill in that side. And then Gibbs White can go a bit more central and create from there. So that would be ideal, but he's had to swap Nico over because of the injuries at left back. So a little bit unfortunate, but also a bit of their own making because they're not playing the way that they were built originally yeah. for. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think he they came up playing a back three. They bought for a back three. And in the summer, I went through their signings and all of them made sense. In a back three, most of them make a lot less sense in a back four. Now, they have gotten some good news in recent weeks with um, Loic Bade 
returning to fitness. And I do think he can come into that team and really up the levels at centre-back. I think he's really good. And it wouldn't surprise me if him and Niakate are either the centre-back pairing in a back four after the World Cup or if they're two-thirds of the back three with Scott McKenna or potentially Joe Worrell. McKenna on the left or Worrell in the middle with Niakate on the left. Um, you don't think Willie Bolly is the answer then, no? No, I don't think... If Willie Bolly is the answer, you've asked definitely the, the wrong question. <laughs> but again, I saw the logic in signing him to have an extra body who's used to playing in a back three. Like, Coyote made sense for the middle of a back three, or in some games you might get away with him on the right of the back three. Uh, being Kono fits much better in a back three. Uh, Niakate does. Richards is a wing back. Williams is a wing back. Tofolo's a wing back. Lewis O'Brien, I think, is a neat and tidy midfielder who can absolutely play at this level. But, you know, when you've got Lewis O'Brien, Ryan Yates, um, Remo Freuler, and Mangala, I don't understand why Coyate is getting a single minute in midfield. You've got four midfielders who are better. You should be rotating them and finding the best partnership. Lingard made sense, again, in a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-1-2, where you could play him as the 10 behind two strikers. Dennis proved last season he's more than good enough to play in the Premier League. He was he was good in a bad Watford team. Uh, Freuler made sense. Gibbs-White, again, as a 10 in a 4-2... Uh, sorry, a 3-4-1-2. Ideal. I think he could play in midfield. I think his best role is probably in midfield, uh, playing a bit deeper and using his ball carrying to progress quite a bit. But you'd need to play him with a defensive midfielder and another hard-working one who can form a two when he bombs on, which is why I think he would have worked really well in a Wolves three with Neves and Nunes, but it is what it is. Um and Serge Aurier made sense to bring in just as a backup right wing back with a bunch of experience, but these players make less sense in a back four. Cooper has to figure it out. Now, he's fortunate enough in that a lot of the players won't be going to the World Cup. Um, I think like Hennessy will go with Wales. I, I don't know if Dean Henderson will make the England squad. I'm guessing he won't, because I think it'll be Pickford, Ramsdale and Pope. So he'll have him behind. He'll have Biancone, Cook, Worrell, Tofolo. Uh, Niakate might go, obviously, if he's fit, but it doesn't look like he's going to be fit. Aurier won't be going. McKenna won't be going. Richards won't be going. Bade won't be going. Bowley won't be going. And I'm guessing Renan Lodi won't make the Brazil squad. So he can really drill down with that defence and have it looking like a real defence post-World Cup. Same thing with the midfielders, Mangala, Gibbs-White, Lingard, Lewis O'Brien, um, Ryan Yates. They're not going. Freuler will go and Coyate will go. But Freuler's the type you can just plug and play. I mean, he is just a reliable 7 out of 10. And then in, in attack, Awani is not going. Surridge isn't going. Dennis isn't going. It's only Brandon Johnson. So he's going to have most of his squad to work with through the World Cup break. And of the ones that are going, the only ones he's going to need to consider, how do I get them back in the team when they return? Niakate, if he's fit enough to go, Freuler and Johnson. The other eight, you should have nailed down by the time the games come back. And then you work the other three back in. You find, maybe you play Jesse Lingard as your... Brennan Johnson stand in because he's quick, he can play from wide areas, and he's a good ball carrier. Uh, Lewis O'Brien could be your Froiler stand in, and from just purely because he's left footed, maybe you use Scott McKenna where you would want to use Niakate. And by the time you come back, I know they've got a couple of tough games to return from that World Cup, but they have got to have a settled team, a settled formation. And a group that is together, has grown accustomed to each other, now knows each other, 
and has built some relationships. Because right now, this isn't a team. This is just a bunch of lads who are professional footballers and have been brought together. It's too like it's too soon for them to really know each other at all, on or off the pitch. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it was always going to be the biggest issue that they face a real getting it togetherness, getting a bit of a, a culture in the squad, getting some leaders emerge within the group that always happens, but what happens organically, you know, people pick their own leaders, even if they don't formally do so people step up and come to the fore and all the rest of it. And it's a difficult thing to do when you've got a whole load of people just thrown together sort of thing. So they're going to need a few to really step up and, and show quality who obviously have it. It's not just about the battling and the, uh, togetherness and the fight and all the rest of it, but they have to have that organisation at Premier League level as well. That that has to come first, I think, and then mm. later on, maybe just in a couple of games, you let two or three players almost off the leash to to try and combine and get things happening in an attack. So there's work to be done. Um, in all honesty, it would take something quite enormous for them to stop us getting what would be our first away Premier League win of the season uh, at the weekend, which is a ridiculous thing to be saying at this point of the year, but whatever. Uh, and Ultimately, I think the result for this one is going to come down to who starts for Liverpool and how well we play and how clinical we are or are not. Yeah, Liverpool now. No Luis Diaz. We know he's out for, well, he's out until after the World Cup break. Diogo Jota is the same. Um, Arthur are the same. That's, yeah, Arthur are the same. We, like we, we've, you, you've said it before. We might not see him again. Uh, that might just be, he might have had that 14 minutes against Napoli and that could be it. Um, Memorable. Yeah, absolutely. Coming on in, in that, to, to, to settle the game down and guide us through to a 4-1 defeat. Um, Ibu, according to what Jürgen said yesterday, Ibu's not going to be ready for this game. He says he's likely to only be back in team training on Saturday although there will be no team training on Saturday, so I'm not sure what Jürgen meant by that. Um, Naby is back in parts of team training, so he could potentially be on the bench for this game. Joel Matip, Joel tends to recover at the same kind of pace that he breezes through life at quite slowly. Um, And Darwin has a little bit of a, a tight muscle, so I'm guessing he'll start on the bench. So... You mentioned the midfield, and it has looked like a situation where the one who comes on will start the next game. Now, Henderson played 90 in yesterday's game, giving him 120 minutes across the last two games, or 127 or whatever with the added time. Um, But still, he'll be relatively fresh. Fabinho played a similar amount of time across the two games. Whereas Thiago played 150 minutes or 155 minutes, whatever it was. So I'm guessing that the midfield pairing for this game will be Henderson and Fabinho. I wonder, I know Jürgen always says they don't do this. And to an extent with Thiago, especially, there might not be any point in doing this. But... (laughs) It is important that Liverpool win this game, obviously, but should we mm. really think that who starts central midfield out of Thiago or the other two will dictate the result against Nottingham Forest? Or do you need to hold him back for Ajax, where we do want a result so that we can wipe one game off our fixture list effectively and make sure so that we're in, th- in Europe, obviously? This is my next question to you. If you had to put... Um, if you had to rank this game and the IX game in terms of level of importance, which one would you put top? Because personally, I would put the IX game as the more important one because, as you said, if we can go and get the draw, all we need is a draw, get the draw we need. We don't even have to worry about the Napoli game. We can play Nat Phillips at centre-back in the Napoli game. Milner can start up front if he wants in the Napoli game because we'll already be through. And I do think the Champions League is our only real shot at, at one of the, the big trophies this year. I think the Premier League is gone. I think the Champions League needs to be the focus. Um, now, obviously, we need to focus on getting top four as well in case we don't win the Champions League because we want to be in it next year. But I think that's a different conversation than winning the league. Um, 
So which would you prioritise? Would you prioritise this game or that Ajax game? I would, from a defensive standpoint and a control standpoint, prioritise Ajax. And from an attacking one, prioritise Forrest, if, if that makes sense. You know, if it was a case of Salah can only start one, for example, I'd be starting him against Forrest. But for Thiago to control the game, I would be starting him against Ajax. That's what I mean. Yeah, I, no, I complete, I'm completely on board with that. So, um, in that case, I think, I think you can find a decent balance in this game if you play Henderson and Fabinho with Harvey and Carvalho as the wide players and just held the two in the middle. Discipline. No charging up the pitch, Jordan. We do not want to see you pressing centre-backs in the 92nd minute. There's absolutely no reason for you to be doing that. There's no reason for you to be caught out by a simple Declan Rice ball to Mikel Antonio in the dying moments of the game because you've gone ball chasing. If Fabinho loses the ball, let Fabinho lose the ball. Stay in your fucking position. If those two can play disciplined football and be solid in front of our two centre-backs, who I assume will once again be Joe and Virgil, then we can have that defensive block. I think Robbo comes back in. I think Trent starts. I think Harvey will do the work in front of Trent that we saw him do in front of Milner last week. So I think that alone will make us defensively solid, having Robbo back and having a double up on the left-hand side as and when it's needed. Or sorry, a double up on on our right-hand side as and when it's needed. If those two in the middle can just, just be disciplined, not try and take too much out of the ball. Just get it to those two wide players and to Trent and let them be the ones that run the game. You don't worry about any of that. That's not your game. It's not your role. You might think it's what you can do, but you can't. Give it to those wide lads. Keep it simple. Keep it smart. And just do your work defensively. Be aggressive in the challenge. Be disciplined positionally. Be fundamentally secure in terms of tracking runners, shielding people, shepherding them to to areas where they're not going to hurt us and not allowing simple ball into feet in front of our centre-backs. I think that that's probably the very, very important thing. And even from a, you know, if we do get ahead from an energy conservation perspective that we need to get through this game and the next one and the next one, the next one, we're probably still just those two, uh, sorry, three players for the two positions quite often. Um, it makes sense. It just makes a lot of sense, to be honest. We just keep their their role as routine and as straightforward and as protective as possible. Both of them can play really good through passes from you know 15 yards deeper than if they were number eights. They don't need to worry about from that perspective in terms of not being involved in the build-up. I think probably three of our best chances last night against West Ham came from those two positions. It was Thiago, obviously, and Henderson at the time. Um, playing from quite deep in midfield, but playing really good through passes. So it's not like they're not involved just because they're a little bit deeper or not pressing quite as high up or anything like that, but play behind the game. That's where we need you to be at the minute. Play behind the game so that we are well covered, that we're not going to be easily run through and that you are because you're not ridiculously speedy and certainly compared to a few players who we might come up against, um, able to still be in position. They're not just going to breeze past you and go one-on-one with the defence like we saw a few times in the Mm. second half. So I don't, again, really mind which pairing of the three it is. It shouldn't matter that much in this match. But we do need, I think, Thiago to play against Ajax. So you've got a choice of either do exactly the same as you did against West Ham and take him off before the hour mark and hope that the game is won by then already, or else start with Thiago on the bench and hopefully Henderson and Fabinho can do the job between them. Yeah, I mean, neither of them have been good this season. Um, they've had you know, Henderson had the good game against Rangers. Fabinho's had a couple of good games, but you know, not consistently good. He was very good against City, but very poor again last night. Um, I think but, I think it's I fair mean, to point out that Henderson's performances have been on a marginal uptrend in the last three games. Now, he's played a very different role across those three matches. Obviously, his, his City role we spoke about at length was a filler in and do your job. But he did it well. He didn't do stupidity. And last night in the first half was better 
than it had been in, let's say, any of the halves earlier on this season. So even if we're not getting 90 minutes of 7 or 8 out of 10 from him, in games like this against relegation-threatened sides, we shouldn't need that. It should be enough to have him just... He said his last three games. Yeah, Rangers was the one before that. He was fucking horrendous in the Rangers game. The Rangers away game. Rangers away. Oh, we played them away second, didn't we? He okay. was he was dreadful, and he was dreadful <laughs> against Arsenal as well. So All right. let's not get three, too carried away. Three out of the last five. Three out of five. <laughs> three out of five. That, One good game. That is still and an two where he was good for a bit, for spells. That is still two an uptrend compared to what came before. It is this an uptrend <laughs> compared to the twelve months before that. It is an uptrend for sure. Um, but the thing is. He needs to be held more accountable. And that's what happened in the City game, is that any time he edged out of position, someone screamed at him to get back into position, and he did. Last night, he decided he was going to go rampaging forward a few times and got caught out of position. That can't happen. In a double pivot, that cannot happen. You have to be more disciplined. So if he's more disciplined, great. Forrest is not a game where he should need to go rampaging forward. Forrest is a game where you should just be sitting in and letting the attacking players go and do their thing. You're there to provide the platform. Um, Breaking news, and I want to get your quick reaction on this. Michael Beale has turned down Wolves to stay at QPR. Obviously, QPR have had a great start to the season, but I'm a little bit surprised he's turned that job down because I do think that is... I think that's a good job, being honest. I think there's money to spend. It's a good squad. You obviously need a striker, but you know that's been the case at Wolves for about six years. Um, I'm surprised he's turned it down, but then I was also surprised that he became the number one target, considering he's only been a manager for five months. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen QPR and watched any championship games this year yet, I don't think, but I would assume that part of his reason for turning him down is because he's he knows he's still learning on the job, basically, and he's got himself, obviously, a decent start, so he's in a comfortable position, and he's happy to just keep learning at his own pace. He doesn't need to make an immediate step right now, whereas if he went to Wolves, they didn't buy a forward, he couldn't find a way for them to be mm. goal-scoring and got the sack. Is he going to be starting a bit further down again next time? So he's got, I think it was a three-year contract, something like that, that he's got QPR, so um, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm floored by the fact he's turned them down there's there's still a big job to do there at Wolves so it's a, a big culture of playing that they need to turn around not just get a number 9 in the team so um, reasonable I think to turn down considering how new he is to the job but also nice that they yeah, are looking uh, for somebody different Agreed, agreed, nice to see looking, looking for a progressive choice um, I really hope this doesn't mean they go back to Nuno because that would just be a, a catastrophe um, it's great seeing QPR doing so well. I would love to see QPR back in the Premier League because when I was growing up, QPR were just one of the teams that were in the top flight every year with Les Ferdinand and Trevor Sinclair and Gavin Peacock and a whole bunch of grafting midfielders and mediocre defenders. And Andy yes, yes. Kevin Gallup was a quality little player. Andy Sinton was a good player as well. Um, they were fun to watch back then, managed by Jerry Francis with his outstanding mullet. <laughs> and Loftus Road is one of the best stadiums in England, and nothing will dissuade me from that. It's compact, it's tight, it's loud, it's gnarly at times. I love Loftus Road, and I do like Palace. Shout out to Monkey Sponge, um, the only QPR fan that I know. Um, back to Liverpool. Right, Alisson and goal. Trent, Joe, Virgil, Robbo. Any change from that for you? Harvey, Henderson, Fab, Carvalho as a midfield four. Again, I still have my reservations about playing those two in the two wide roles, but in this instance... I do as well, but needs most. Yeah, in this instance, I think given that I think Forrest are still likely to be without Lodi, it's going to be... um, Aurea right back and Nico Williams left back and I would rather have a runner going up against Aurea which is Carvalho over someone who can you know be a bit scheming and passing in field and that sort of thing which would be Jones I don't think Jones is going to be too far off a first start and maybe he just gets like 45 and we take him off at the break since that doesn't really you know count as taking up a sub as such 
But for this game, I think it would be good to get Caralho running a little bit wider than he was against West Ham because he was really, really tucked mm. in. Uh, it was Salah wide and Caralho almost uh, almost an, uh, an 8 to 10. ten. <clears throat> so yeah. I would like to see him stick a bit wider in this match, but really go up against Laurier th- and try and get in between Laurier and Cook. I thought in the second half against Rangers, he and Harvey kind of figured out how they play those roles when they're the two wide players where one comes central, so the other stays wide, and then the other comes central, so the first one stays wide. Last night, I didn't like the balance between Carvalho and Mo because I thought Mo was just left too isolated. He's back to being a linesman. Um, I didn't like the fact that Mo was started wide to begin with, but again, needs most. The squad is a little bit injury-plagued at the moment. Um, up front, I'm suggesting a Bobby... Mo pairing with Carvalho coming off, or with Nunes rather coming off the bench to keep Nunes fresh for Ajax because I think that's the game we will want him playing in. Uh, yeah, I agree. Although I would start him in both of these matches as long as he's fit. I know he said even, he's got, even with the little bit of time. It depends what that is. The depends what that is. Yeah, if it's like a you know a hamstring or something like that, then obviously you don't play him, but. If he's okay, it's just bruising or just tiredness or fatigue or whatever because he hadn't had too many starts beforehand, then, yeah, I'd, I'd give him three starts in a row here for these matches. He only, you know, he didn't even play an hour last night. So, against yeah. Nottingham Forest, I think he's going to give them a lot of problems and I would like to you know, keep the positivity and consist- uh, continuity going in his game time. And then hopefully then against Ajax, he's in a position to do a lot more of the hold-up play and everything for us as well. Um, if he's okay to start this one, I would do so with Salah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If he's if he's good to go, absolutely. Because you want to get him as many games and as many opportunities as possible. And uh, there's just... I Last night, I really enjoyed his performance. I thought his hold-up play was good. I think he completed like 12 or 14 passes, which is good for a back, you know, for, for a nine... Um, it's about three games worth of passes for Erling Haaland. Um, and it feels like he's going to bag a bunch of goals in one game and then go on a bit of a run where everything he hits goes in. If he's if he's fit enough to start both, then yeah, absolutely start him with both. I, I don't even mind if he starts this one and Bobby starts the other one, but... I would rather have Darwin against that Ajax back line because I think his pace could could really punish them and his ability in the air up against the likes of Jurian Timber, uh, who's only 5'10". Um, right, predictions. I am going to go first, and I am saying a 3-1 Nottingham Forest victory. Yeah, disappointing outcome for us again this weekend. 5-2 to Forest. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame that we're struggling like this. And that will do us for today. Anything you want to plug before you go? I did a piece on uh, alternatives and who can fill in and stuff on the on the flanks if people want a bit more detail on the things we've already spoken about. But otherwise, it's just raw, scouted, raw, scouted, raw, scouted on a regular basis at the minute. <laughs> and I think we can now announce that during the World Cup, we will be doing a daily podcast, myself and Mr. Matchett, tracking the ongoings in Qatar. So that is one to look forward to. Uh, That will likely replace the Daily Red uh, for me in terms of a daily podcast through the World Cup uh, because the Reds won't be doing much. There won't be a whole lot to talk about. But there's going to be, I think, quite a lot to talk about in terms of this World Cup. So... We haven't figured out the uh, the actual details of it, but that looks like that's the plan. Absolutely. I think similar format to how we did the Euros, sort of a half-hour quick show and uh, get as much detail in as we can. And Guy can be in charge of the buzzer again to cut us off mid-sentence when we've somehow started talking about Grimsby when we're supposed to be doing Senegal, Ecuador <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, but, you know, these are, these are the things that are fun. Um Right. Yeah. Do you know what it'll be? We'll, we'll it'll be Senegal, Ecuador. We'll start talking about a stupid man. How Watford didn't make good use of him by selling him after his first good season on loan and never getting the benefit of him. And we'll do a deep dive on the bad Watford moves over the last few years, and that'll be a whole podcast. And Senegal and Ecuador 
won't really get a mention. This is the way it goes. But it is what it is. That's it. And there will be the return of On the Books during the World Cup. Assuming Downey can walk by then, uh, send your thoughts to Trev, who's dealing with a quite a horrible back problem at the moment. Uh, we will leave it there, and we will see you next week twice for Ajax and whatever team we play in the league. I have no idea at this point. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.